welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. He is Chris Marler. Chris, last week we had a very special edition of the pod with SEC teams as characters from The Office. This week we've got another special edition of the SDS pod. It is Goat Week. Yes, Goat Week, the animal, right? Ah, yeah. right. Uh, that's it. totally what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Last week, all I've done since we recorded last week's episode is watch The Office. Currently, it's Friday. Wait, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to say yeah, that. Yeah, we're recording this on a Friday. We're over. recording this ahead of time. <laughs> I'm actually going to be, by the time that you're listening to this, I'll actually be out of town. I'm going to spend some time with some family. That's what you do in June during the SEC season or when it's not the SEC season. So what we're going to do today is we're going to run through, we have like a kind of a good overview of some of the general topics that we've gone through with all these stories for Goat Week. And by the way, I should preface that Goat Week is not in fact about the animal. It's greatest. No, it's a dumb animal. People just don't care about this animal. Baby goats, adorable as S word. But other than that, yeah, when they grow up, pretty terrible. Pretty terrible, to be honest. So we wrote about greatest of all time. time. And the best part about that is that no part of it has anything to do with Michael Jordan and LeBron, which has just completely taken over my Twitter page and feed, uh, and it's gotten pretty pretty exhausting. No so. MJ LeBron discussion today. We're discussing only the goats that LeBron. you actually care about. We're going to move on. That's our only debate of the entire show that's going to be devoted to MJ and LeBron. Having said that, we have For some sure. good debates that we want to get to today. We have all SEC, like all-time teams that we want to go through. I want to kind of um, talk about some of the stories that we did uh, throughout this week. Really cool project. One of the coolest things that I think we've done, at least in my time uh, working for this company for the last three years. And we we spent a lot of time on this reporting. We we like to have a lot of fun on this. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about some of the different stories that have come out of this and some of the different discussions that have no doubt come out about who's the GOAT, who's not the GOAT. It's fascinating when you look back and compare players from different eras. That's what people like to do nowadays. So let's get into this. We've got stories this week, in case you haven't seen. By the time this comes out, there's going to be stories already on Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams, story that I wrote about the two great Auburn running backs that you were such a big fan of back in the day. So I love the piece, and I love, like, we've been talking about it for weeks leading up to it. And it's funny because just a little peek behind the curtain Peel behind the onion. What do we always say? Yeah, that's. I'm gonna do both. Yeah, peek behind the onion. Um, I. (laughs) Sounds gross. I. It does sound really bad. Connor was like, "Yeah, man, I'm just. I just interviewed Ronnie Brown, and like every time he would tell me about this or Cadillac Williams, my knee jerk innate reaction was like some horrific PTSD moment (laughs) where I was like, "Oh yeah, did you ask about the time he ran off right in for 80 yards, the first play of the 2003 Iron Bowl, ruined my entire junior year of high school?" And he's like, "Uh, uh, "No, I didn't, Chris." be sure to follow up with that next time. It's just like this this very irrational outburst, uh, which I know is that's kind of what I go for on the on the pod in general. So I would expect nothing. It was, less. Um, it's good stuff. I did get to talk to Tommy Tuberville about that. That was that was pretty fun. So the the cool thing about this story, um, getting to write about Cadillac and Ronnie, who I dubbed the great the goat of SEC running back duos. Of course, the only duo to be drafted in the top five in the same draft. Ever. So stupid. Hasn't so happened. Stupid. Except for those two, of course. Ronnie came off they the board number two. They also had Rudy Johnson right before that. Had Rudy Johnson. Who ran for like 1,800 yards. And they also had Brandon Jacobs in this backfield. And and again, I'll say, I'll you, you brought this up, and I was like, what's craziest about this during like any of this time? The only good year Bama had when they were there was 2002. Like, they beat him in 2001, but like 2002, it's like the best Bama team they had. 
to face them. Cadillac got injured that year, too. Broke his leg. Both of them were out. And Brandon Jacobs was out. And they ran in Trey Smith, this, like, number number 22, this little white running back, fourth string, and they beat him 17-7. to It was awful. I was there. So one of the cool things about getting to kind of, like, report on this and talk to – I talked to Cadillac. I went down to Bradenton, as I mentioned, a few weeks ago and talked to him about this. Got to talk with Ronnie Brown on the phone for a while. Talked to Tommy Tuberville and then talked to Marcus Spears as well, who's now with SEC right. Network. Played against him when he was at LSU. And one of the cool things to kind of revisit was this this decision to come back and actually be a duo. Because I think we kind yeah. of take it for granted now because there have been so many great duos since then. But they were really kind of ahead of their time. Not like that. But not, yeah, not like them. I mean, they had this decision after their junior seasons. Ronnie was a redshirt junior and Cadillac was a true junior after that 2003 season. After they yeah. torched. Both started. of them could have gone. Both of them could have Easily. gone and left me alone. So. I mean, and moved on in their careers. That's what I meant to so say. So Cadillac's. But no. Cadillac told me that he had a late first round grade and Ronnie had like a late third round grade or something like that. He had been banged up at the end of the year. But both of them make the decision to come back because Noel Mazzoni was, new, was the new offensive coordinator and he tells Ronnie that I want to run a two-back system. And Ronnie's like, sign right. me up. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. And so they make the decision to come back. Tuberville thought they were both gone. He thought at least one of them was going <laughs> to yeah, be going. everyone did. Yeah, and so, it's, like, it's like when the 2006 Florida Gator basketball team came exactly. Exactly. It was like, hey, uh, Joakim Noah, you're going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. Also, we have this kid named Corey Brewer. He's probably going to be a lottery pick. Oh, and Al Horford, he's going to probably have the longest career at all of you. You guys, what do you guys want to do? And Joakim was like, I don't know, let's put it to a fan vote. Right. And then everyone was like, <laughs> like, yeah, sure, come on back. It's like the applause meter from that episode of Saved by the Bell. Like, yeah, sure, okay, guys, we broke the record. Let's come on back. It's like, what the hell are you doing? There's millions of dollars to be but made. But the crazy thing was, is so, I mean, they recognized the opportunity and they were sold on the vision that they were going to make each other better in that senior year in 2004. And everybody knows what happened. 2004, they, they go on to have this undefeated season. They become, in my opinion, the greatest running back to an SEC history, top five draft picks, yeah. all that stuff. So the, the funny thing was, you mentioned earlier how they had so much depth at running back. And after they announced when they came back, Auburn is just like so excited. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, like we can win a national championship next year. And Brandon <laughs> Jacobs the next day comes into Tuberville's office and is like, coach, like I'm so excited to hear about Ronnie Cadillac, but I gotta go. <laughs> like I can't stay here. Yeah. And then Brandon Jacobs, of course, goes to Southern And Tuberville was like, who are you? Yeah. And he's like, you'll see me in the NFL. I'm number 27 for the New York Giants. Everyone's gonna forget that I played at Auburn until like eight years from right. now. It, it, was, it was so stupid. The influx, like Auburn always has good running backs. Like they just, they always seem to have like a, like a good running back in Tuberville my opinion. Tuberville started that but, though. They didn't have any running yeah. backs in the roster before he got there. And then he realized like- Yeah, he, Bo Jackson. No, no, no. I'm saying like uh, the 10 years, not like the 20 years. All right, a little bit different. They had, they had, even Davis, <laughs> like who was pretty pretty big in '94 and '95, but like it's there's a string of running backs in the SEC that got to the NFL, and like I've been watching this like most of my life, and I was younger then, so I'm sure that I just don't remember it as well. But like there's a string of running backs that you'd be like, what the hell? That guy is an incredible NFL like an NFL Hall of Famer, and you're like. He played in the SEC? Right, right. Like, when did I miss yeah. that? Like, how did that happen? I think that happens a lot. And Brandon Jacobs is a good... Because I, I had forgotten about that, that he was, like, part of that, I, I guess, duo, trio, whatever you want to call it. But... Yeah, I mean, just yeah. total, like, casualty. Four-headed monster. Yeah. Rudy Johnson. Rudy Johnson came from JUCO from, like... I don't remember where it was, but then it was like, what the hell? Where is this guy? Yeah, and then and SEC then, Player of the Year is first and only season at Auburn and then goes to the NFL. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it was it was pretty incredible, like, kind of going through back in time. T Tuberville said that Ronnie Brown had the best hands of anyone he had ever seen in coaching, and he, like, coached, he, like, saw Michael Irvin. So, 
I mean, Tuberville was like over the moon. What about Cody Burns? I, I don't know. I didn't get to into specifics about like I didn't want to call him out on I'm that. I'm glad that you interviewed him and not yeah, me. Yeah, you would be calling like, him out like. What about Cody seconds. Burns, that that quarterback you turned into a receiver when you brought in that terrible, terrible offensive coordinator in 2007? That was my favorite so year. So Tuberville almost turned Ronnie Brown into a receiver after instead of redshirting him, <laughs> instead of redshirting him that freshman year because Ronnie had played some slot in high school and he had actually go figure. So like this is how versatile Ronnie was when he would go through practice at Auburn. The Auburn linebackers coach would say to him, Ronnie, you're a great running back, but man, you make a hell of a linebacker. And they would say this to him right. all the time. And actually, ironically enough, back in the day when Ronnie was getting recruited, Tennessee messed it up, as Tuberville said, because they wanted him to play linebacker. And right. Ronnie's like, eh, yeah, that happens all the time. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And then, you know, the rest is history. Who was the quarterback from, from Pat White? Bama wanted to put him at defensive back. Uh, who uh, Georgia? Mark Richt wanted to put Cam Newton as, at tight end. Uh, Bama wanted to recruit Bo Jackson to play linebacker. What is happening? Like, how does that? How does that happen? Everybody wants to put people on like defense in these random spots. It's like, well, these guys are pretty good skill players. I think they can handle themselves. Another reason fun. why God's an Auburn fan because he lets them sort it out the <laughs> right way, the way they're supposed, their destiny is supposed to unfold at Auburn on the plains. Oh, exactly. No, just ignore that, guys. Don't don't go play tight end for Georgia. Right. Go to Florida for a year or so, get some trouble with MacBooks, and then you'd be the best quarterback maybe a single season in the history of the SEC. Yeah. One of the things that I did and one of the things I wanted to make sure that I did was kind of check all the bases before I dug into the story and decide for myself, do I really think that they are the greatest running back duo in oh, SEC yeah. history? And Spoiler I think, alert. I think that they, they checked all the boxes, and that's maybe the thing that separates them. I, I came up with the top five list. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, I'm not sure if that's going to come out. Top five running back duos in SEC I mean, history. Spoiler alert, they're, they're far and away number one. Yeah, like that's I, there's no there's not an argument I, in my opinion. I think the draft the draft accomplishment just because it's never been done before that's crazy. Ironically enough, like sitting there at number two is Nick Saban with the Dolphins after he leaves LSU and he calls up Tuberville and is right. like, which one do I take? And he ends up taking Ronnie yeah, Brown, right. of course, just because Ronnie was so versatile right. and Cadillac comes off the board three picks later. Well, and he was also a right. bigger back. Like he he was he was more of like the prototypical. I guess a prototype for like a, like an NFL running back, about like six feet two twenty. Like Carnell was, he was he wasn't small. His arms were ridiculous. His arms were huge, but at the same time, he was more of like like a gashy, like flashy, like breakaway right. speed and type was, guy. That is it was funny. Uh, that. Cadillac said he's like because he showed up on campus a year after uh, Ronnie was there, and Ronnie had redshirted that first year, and he shows up and he looks at Ronnie and he's like. He's bigger than me. He's faster than me. He's stronger than me. This is gonna be this is gonna be a little tough. This is gonna be a little tough. Yeah. But uh, they learned to coexist, especially in 2004. I put them at number one just because they checked all the different boxes in terms of being the heart and soul of that offense. I know Jason Campbell had a good year, but if you go back and look at the numbers, I mean, they had like they averaged 204 yards from scrimmage per game. So stupid. Ronnie was the second leading receiver on the team. Cadillac was the first ever SEC Special Teams Player of the Year that year. I mean, absolutely this, incredible. This was not. And like, and we'll get into the top five, like the duos and all that kind of stuff. Bama always has a bunch of running backs, like a stable of running backs. It seems like LSU always had, and like this, that dates back to the '90s when they had mm -hmm. Cecil Diesel Collins, Kevin Falk, all these guys that were like, where, where do they just keep reloading these guys? Because at the time, LSU was like a seven and four every year program, but like just kind of being a prisoner of the moment. Like recently, it's easy to look at Chubb and Michelle. This was not like Chubb and Michelle. This is unlike anything I've ever seen because it wasn't like. They're Chubb and Michelle, like not taking anything away from them. They're both really, really good. But this is this is like top top five NFL draft pick good. It's both crazy. of them. 
It's crazy. And Tuberville said that that's the closest thing that he's seen since then because they were a true duo. And I think right. that's what you have to make the distinction when you're looking at duos. It's not just the guy who dominates the carries for the first three quarters. And right. then because we're up a billion points, the guy gets the ball in the fourth quarter. So I they have Chubb. each other. Right. They actually complement each other. And if you like, I that was one of the things that I wanted to do during this was I looked back at some of the key games that Cadillac and Ronnie played. And I wanted to look at those late game situations and see who was getting the ball. And it was like a shared workload. I mean, yeah. they were like, they had a go ahead touchdown to beat LSU that year. LSU was a top five team and it was equal work on the last drive of the game. So right. that to me, like that distinction is important. Chubb and Michelle finished their careers as the leading FBS duo ever in terms of rushing. A lot of Georgia fans are going to be upset that they're not number one on this list. And don't get me wrong, they're they're incredible. They were absolutely incredible. They I did. got them at four. You got them at four. Okay, I wouldn't. I could be talked into that. I, I think you you need to obviously have them somewhere in the two to four range. Oh, the, yeah. the numbers itself over the course of a career, that's maybe the thing that separates them is their careers yeah. coincided and it wasn't like they just had one year together. But yeah, I mean, I, I see where we're going with that. Well, but if it wasn't for injury, like they would, it's, that's because they were both there for so long. And like, I'm not taking away any, I'm not trying to take away anything from their career, like either of their careers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both fantastic running backs. I love Nick Chubb. I think Michelle is going to be an incredible back in the NFL for a long time to come. I got them okay. minimum third. And we talked about this when you made it. I, Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, in my opinion, way better, way better complement of each other. You got to remember that was the mm-hmm. show at at Arkansas. I mean, that was the whole show. <laughs> Granted, they did have Peyton Hillis, but that being said, Chubb and Michelle were great. But they still have Swift, who's incredible. Like they still carry, like they still split carries with like other backs that are. They sometimes kind of out. Not I don't say outshine them, but like Swift kind of stole the show in the SEC championship game and. When I look at a great duo, I look at like both of them being effective in right. almost every game they play. Chubb was a huge detriment to that offense in the national championship game. Michelle was incredible. 14 carries, 91 yards. Chubb seemed to always have them in like second and, and behind the chains, like second and, and 13, second and 14. Felix Jones and, and Darren McFadden, for, the, for those of you who don't remember this, th- this was like it was like watching like two point guards in front like, the right. Harlem Globetrotters play running back. They both threw the wild they, hog. they both threw touchdowns. The wild hog, that's when all yep. that stuff started, which was crazy. I mean, they both threw for touchdowns. Like there was one game against LSU, it's my one of my favorite games in the history of the SEC, where McFadden, he caught a touchdown, threw a touchdown, and I'm sorry, he, he ran for three and threw a touchdown. And he was like three and six. Like he he had six pass attempts in the game. And they were just so incredible to watch. They were so fast. It's just like you blinked and they were gone. Here's the thing. I can can see that argument. And I I don't want team success to be a a true detriment because I know that's not like they didn't play defense. So what are they going to account for? They weren't the quarterback. I get that. The tough thing for me to move them into two was because while they did complement each other really, really well, Felix, as incredible as he was as a special teams player, don't get me wrong, he definitely was. He only averaged 12 touches a game those last two years. McFadden had like three times, he had 192, get this, he had 192 (laughs) more carries their junior year than Felix Jones had, which like... Oh, that's crazy, yeah. I mean, and to be fair, McFadden, right? he was the better of the two backs. Like, I mean, he should have won the Heisman in 2006. I don't care what anybody says. It was Troy Smith, Brady Quinn... Or was it 2007? I know Troy Smith won in 2006, but I remember, I remember, I just remember one time, and I'm still pissed off about it. Oh, Skip boy. Bayless saying how 
Todd Beckman should have been the number one. He, he didn't know, or no, Tony Kornheiser didn't know who Darren McFadden was. He said it should have gone to Brady Quinn. And the following year, because the finalists were Brady Quinn, Todd, Troy Smith from Ohio State, and then him. And it was like, it was so blatantly obvious. It's so blatantly obvious. He's the best player in the country. So I would, I'd have to move Sony and, and Chuck an behind him, and I'd also move behind him. Like that's, that's so freaking cool. That um, was legit. One of the, real quick, one of the amazing things about uh, Jones and McFadden, that junior year that they had in 2007, they averaged 256 yards from scrimmage per game. Crazy. Like, bar none, it's the best of the top five That's on stupid. here. But I gave them the knock because I didn't yeah. feel like they were the true duo in the way that, like, Chubb and Michelle were and the way that duo. Cadillac and Ronnie were. So, uh, All right, well, I'll just I'll ruffle feathers with this one, and I'll just say Ingram really? and Richardson okay. were, were better than both of them. Yeah, just in that 2009 season, I, th- I think so. And then I know at five we had Derrick Henry and TJ Yeldon. I would leave that one way off, and I'd put Eddie Lacy and TJ Yeldon from 2012. Okay, justify that. That game against Georgia where they had like 350 yards rushing or something like that. Yeah, it was tough with Bama. It was really tough with Bama. I had yeah. So I had um, Ingram and Richardson at four, and then I had Henry mm-hmm. and Yeldon at five. And I know people are going to be like, why would you have Henry and Yeldon at, at five? Like That seems like a weird add to the list. But if you go back and look at their numbers, they were a true like one-two punch. I think they both finished yeah, with true. like almost the exact same amount of rushing yards. Almost, I think they had the same amount of rushing touchdowns, and their production was yeah. really, really similar. And it was really good. I know Alabama fans like tend to just forget about the bad seasons, like 2014, the way it ended. They just moved right. past it. But the way that they complemented each other, and Yeldon like took a lesser workload because Henry emerged so much in that season. Yeah. So I gave them the nod, and they, I think they had like one 169 yards. From scrimmage that that year that's what they averaged and ingram and richardson was tough because if you just if they had ended oh, with 2009 that's... and if that had been their one year they're one or two on this list in my opinion i mean ingram like... was the heisman trophy winner that year and richardson was a beast and everybody knew it i mean Monster. that duo was <laughs> bar none best duo in the country the problem yeah. was 2010 happened and yeah 2010 i know it's a sensitive subject for you but you can't you can't just completely disregard it because (laughs) that's the way that they ended their careers with of course alabama goes five and three the only time that yeah the only time that nick saban has lost multiple in the conference in the division yeah or Um, in the conference you're you're fired up i can just tell i i will say that that ingram and richardson is one of the best tandems i've seen in like my 25 years of watching or i guess 32 wow what did i say 25 for yeah you're you are so (laughs) not 25 well, I mean, I haven't been watching it since, I mean, so I guess 28 years or 20, whatever, either way. And Chubb and Michelle are great. I just, I would take the other two over there. Fair enough. And, and then one that I was kind of surprised uh, we left off. I mean, Kevin Falk and Cecil Diesel Collins, mm-hmm. they were at LSU at the same time. Here's one. I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm not 100% sure I remember them being in the same backfield, but I know they're there at the same time. Robert Edwards from Georgia and Terrell Davis. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers on that one. They both came in right after Garrison Hurst in the early 90s. Those are two guys, like Robert Edwards, I remember being like all everything running back for them, number 47. But uh, Terrell Davis, I remember he won like the Super Bowl MVP, and I was like, Right, right, he's one of those guys. When did that happen? (laughs) What what the hell? Yeah, yeah, and Bill figured it comes full circle. One of the Garrison Hurst fans as a kid was actually Ronnie Brown. He grew up in Georgia, and that's that was his guy growing up. Right. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna move on from the running backs. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of debate about that. People are gonna throw out a lot of numbers. Sorry, Georgia fans. Um, one of the things I hope we don't get any bad reviews. <laughs> don't give us bad reviews. Don't give us bad reviews. Especially after our office pod. Please don't. Yeah. Right. Uh, we killed that's, it. <laughs> that's what I thought. I saw that some people had some great suggestions with that too. We're gonna move on. Our 
very, very esteemed colleague, Al Blanton, wrote two pieces, Bear Bryant and Nick Saban. And Al, of course, is uh, he's, he's great at these long form things. You know, he wrote, I believe, yeah, last year he wrote about, uh, about Vince Dooley and about his life and basically like what, what a guy like that is able to do when he fades into retirement. Just kind of looking back at the legacy of Bear Bryant and the passing of the torch to Nick Saban. And I know that this is something that is, I don't want to say it's a popular topic of discussion across college football because I don't think every college football fan really cares about the greatest coach of all time. I think though that just I think it's fans. I think it's more of a Bama thing and, and maybe just within the SEC because both have coached multiple multiple schools in the region and whatnot. So right. the Bear Bryant versus Saban argument is a fascinating one it's and close. it's one that I don't think we're ever gonna get an answer to. But here here's what I would what I would say is that I'll give you the answer. You go, go ahead, actually. You go ahead. I'm, no, you you finish what you're saying. Like I just don't think it's even even up for debate. Okay, so the thing that I'll say is that if you're still holding on to the belief that Bear Bryant is never gonna be topped, nobody can ever do what he did, I think that's a bit ridiculous. Now, if you wanna tell me yeah. that, okay, Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, they coached in different eras, they had a different set of guidelines, different competition, and you don't wanna compare them, and you just wanna say Bear Bryant is the best of the 20th century, Nick Saban's the best of the 21st century, I have absolutely no problem with that, that is your prerogative. But if you are gonna compare them, it's Saban, right? It's not even close. It's not even like, and and I know Bama. I'm I'm a Bama fan. My dad, my dad will like go to his grave defending this. It's so stupid because it's like, I totally get it. Six national championships. That's more than than Saban has. Like, well, they're tied. They're tied. Yeah, they're but tied. you know what I mean. Like right. at Bama, but he did it over 25 years. He was 19 and six versus Auburn. He won, I think it was like 13 SEC championships. I get all that. I totally get all that. What I don't understand about it is like. If you just sit down and objectively look at what he was able to do during the time he was able to do it, I think why Bama fans have such a huge stigma about this whole thing is like they feel like they have to do this. Like, like it's like a part of like almost like a religious what's the word I'm looking for commitment, I guess, to it. Like they have to say like, no, man, I grew up, I grew up watching this. Like this is exactly it's what I've always been told. It's what I've always learned. He was the greatest of all time, blah blah, and he was for a long time. Now, I think one of the reasons that that happens is because in the 60s and 70s, when you look around like the the landscape of the country, especially like politically and and racially and socially, there was one part of the the country that was constantly kind of vilified with, for the most part, good reason, because of like the racial, you know, lack of progress and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was always the Southeast. And a lot of times it was Alabama. So for most of the rest of the country, they were like kind of like the laughing stock and like the scapegoat for all these terrible things. But the one thing they could hold on to was they had the best football team in the country. And I think they have like this like white knuckled like grip and like an entrenched thought they have that that was the best of times because surrounding it there were so many other terrible things but that was the one thing they could like hang their hat on and be prideful of. I, I get that, and when you explain that and you flesh it out, history matters, and I think that that's you were giving no, me a no, weird no. Look like I was just seeing where it. you're going with this because I'm like, all right, he's getting into mm. the racial tension stuff. We don't want to. All right, just making sure. <laughs> but I think that's that's why it's always been such an important thing that they've clung on to for so so many years because I mean they they are the butt of a lot of jokes, and in the southeast especially, but especially Alabama, the butt of a lot of jokes about education and race and all this kind of stuff and being backwards and backwards. But what they always had and still have is the best football program in the country. They're not Notre Dame. Like, they're, it's, this is Alabama. 
and they're still able to win all these, these Don't championships. Don't Clemson's got more championships then. <laughs> Don't even start, Connor. Not oh, up in like here. you riled up. All right. Yeah, I know. I Like I said before, if you don't want to compare them because they're in different eras, you came along at a different time, maybe you're, you were just at a different place in your life and it's tough for you to like separate the sentimental right. value as opposed to just the, you know, the numbers and all that stuff. That's your prerogative by all means. That's totally, you know, no problem with that. What Nick Saban is doing right now. There's so it, much there's, more. There's so many more responsibilities. There are so many more responsibilities just in terms of recruiting, in terms of in-house competition, in terms of guidelines. I mean, everything. Recruiting, recruiting itself is recruiting totally is, different. There, there are actual restrictions. Yeah. So you can't just go out and sign 35 right. players and be like, yep, we signed the number one class in the country with all these people and promise them playing time. There's no freshman teams you can just sit them on. Like, like, hey, yeah, you can't play because the NCAA won't allow you to play your first year. So there's a reason you can't transfer out. Like, none of that's in place right. now. At so all. I think one of the things that, like, in 2030 or whenever it is that Saban retires, like, nobody's really going to, like, everybody's going to look back at how many rings he won, SEC championships, all that stuff. We're going to yeah. get into that. But I think that when we look back on his career, Saban's career, when it's all finished, we're going to look at this period. And especially when the, the, the recruiting rankings era, since it's basically started in the 21st century, we're going to look back and see 2011 to 2017 nick saban had the number one recruiting class every single year and we're right. gonna be like every year. how in the world in this day and age of recruiting did he pull that off it's mind-boggling to think that one program could have that level of sustained dominance and explains right. the on the field performance in this yeah. day and age that's the best way to put it this level of sustained dominance because it is the like a lot of times you talk about like the greatest the greatest dynasties in either sports or college football, especially people, a lot of times will point out to like the the mid fifties Oklahoma Sooners because they won they won like three straight national championships, something like that. That's great, but like th this level of sustained dominance when it is 24 seven, 365 days a year, it's crazy, and we're watching it unfold in real time. And after he's gone, everything in my life is going to go downhill, <laughs> and I'm already already upset about it. One thing I will say about Bear Bryant is the man was he had a little bit of a penchant for drinking. One impressive thing he was able to do was still coach that well and being hung over all the time. Like I, I wanted, to, I want to take a nap right now. Yesterday's my girlfriend's birthday. It's been a tough one, Connor. So I mean, I, I will say he does that better. That's going to come over really badly. But in Nick Saban's defense, I think he gets a little bit of a buzz off those oatmeal cream pies every morning. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing, right? Just, those are his smelling right. salts. It's exactly. Just every, every morning that rapper crunches. Yeah, the the debate, uh, especially if Saban does pass him in terms of total rings, um, is is going to get even tougher for the Bryant apologists. I will say that not to take any way. Yes, that's a good not way to, to take it. anything away from the bear or anything like that because what he did was obviously incredible. You don't think of the great college football coaches of all time without thinking of him at the top of that list. No. Um, but yeah, and Butch Jones is going to pass him intern, all now that he's intern the intern Butch that's uh, is being groomed to replace. Yeah, Saban. obviously, or Dabo comes along and takes uh, Saban's job. I oh Jesus, I I really didn't think I wanted him because it's hard to go from Saban. To somebody that's like, golly, heck, come on now. But yeah, they got to get Devo. Anyway, moving, moving forward. forward. Yeah, you guys can debate all that stuff for another time. Let's uh, let's widen the scope a little bit here because one of the things that we did at SDS, uh, like internally, was we came up with our we came up with our greatest SEC teams of all time. We basically drew up a lineup. Yeah. We had a full offensive line, you know, set of receivers, 
defensive line, all that stuff, an entire team. Nick Saban, of course, was my coach for that team. But I came up with a list that, I'll be honest, it took me like 45 minutes to an hour to come up with this. I'll be honest, I had to look back and figure out which offensive lineman won more Outland trophies and all that stuff. So if you want to argue my offensive lineman, okay, by all means, go ahead. But yeah. I, I think I have a relatively decent viewpoint on this without any biases so i'm gonna go through this yeah i think you did more more of like the actual i, I was telling i was telling ali about this my girlfriend because uh we we before we recorded the power went out and i was like all right we get some extra research time here so i'm like going through stuff and and i'm like going through the biggest the biggest debate to ha- to be had is all of the offensive linemen it's also the worst debate who cares? <laughs> be like who cares, no cares. Like yeah. they're all the same but I, I will tell you that i did prepare one thing for the end of this and that is a greatest of all time family feud style edition rapid fire questioning of you like we did a couple that weeks terrifies ago. me so just prepare yourself that for terrifies that. me as somebody who did not grow up in the southeast i think i've said that before southern fried yankee whatever you want to call me this oh, that, that's going to terrify me okay so southern baked yankee you don't southern, you don't southern baked you don't fry yankee. any foods you're way too good yeah, a shape I eat, I eat occasional fried food all right um i'm gonna go through my team here at quarterback i've got the tim tebow you're shaking your head already. I, I, so it's hard to not say Peyton because he was so much better, in my opinion, for so much longer. But also, can't argue the the uh, the rings and the titles that Tebow won. This and is just I, college stuff. So this the, we're not basing this entirely on what they were as NFL prospects, what they were as NFL players. But you brought that up because then that just goes into my next line yes. of questions. But so, go ahead. I would say Tebow or Werfel. AJ McCarron can make that list. Um. <laughs> I, you know what? Okay, so I've, I've actually gone to bat for McCarron before, and I think that McCarron is absolutely, like, one of the best players in, in Alabama history. I think he deserves that title. I'm not quite putting him as greatest SEC quarterback ever. I think Tebow, in terms of a game Have changer, you, was a little bit different fine. than A.J. McCarron. Have you seen the commercial with the Skittles pox? And the kid's like, what is that? And he's like, doctor says I have Skittles pox. And the girl takes one off his arm and eats it. And she goes, is it contagious? He's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's exactly what he just sounded like. Anyway, yeah, I, I'm not going to argue that one. Go, moving forward to running back. Here so we go. So another guy who I got to do a story on, and I don't think there's any debate in my opinion. I, I could provide a little bit of context on this if you'd like. But I don't so think there's any debate, any major debate. If you go <sighs> in the state of Alabama, there's going to be a big time debate. As Tony Barnhart told me, if you want to get into a fist fight, go into the state of Alabama and argue between Herschel and Bo. But to me, it's Herschel. Yeah, it's Herschel. It's it's the fact okay. that he was able to lead the SEC in career rushing in three seasons, three seasons, didn't need four to do it. And despite the fact that he played in an That's offense crazy. that... Let's be honest. It, they were going to run the ball, and that's all they were going to do. <laughs> Herschel left, left Herschel right, right all day. He finished his crew with 994 carries. 994 in three years. That's, that's in three unbelievable. Years. Like if the top, I looked back at like some of the top ten running backs, and they had like uh, of the last few years, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, guys like that. They had like 650 right. career carries. I love how and, and nowadays, like he was playing with like like Riddell, <laughs> Rydell or Riddell, like crappy pads. And everyone's like, like, running backs only got so many carries for their bodies all used up. <laughs> he had a lifetime of carries just in his three years in college. Like, this is the same guy that literally he separated his shoulder in the national championship game, popped it back in himself, and then still ran for 151 yards and two touchdowns against yeah. Notre Dame. 
That's a that's an all-time Herschel story. There are so many good ones and so many things that stand out about him. And they, they didn't even use him in the passing game like they really could have. He had those two touchdowns. <laughs> they didn't have a passing right. game. <laughs> they had one passing play, I'm convinced, his entire freshman year. Another from Dakula, Georgia. Same region as me. Yeah, it was the one pass to Lindsey Scott. I'm pretty sure that's the only forward pass they attempted the entire year. It was just a couple of like tosses to Herschel and then like a 63-yard field goal attempt by Kevin Butler. That was the and Herschel offense. had the uh, the game against South Carolina that year, of course, that was famous, where he basically like there was three defensive backs who had the angle on him, and he just <laughs> darts and they were left in the dust. It was unbelievable. Yeah, go back and watch the YouTube clip of that. Herschel, in my opinion, I I've watched the full game. I actually watched the full you? game like two years ago on ESPN Classic. It's like growing up in the South, there was I remember like my dad. My dad had every Bama game ever that like that was ever on TV from eighty like since I was born, eighty five to whenever on VHS. That's a lot of tapes. Technology was not his strong suit, <laughs> but he did he did have. And I remember him saying he's like, there are about five to ten games as a as a Southern SEC football fan that you have to see. And there's like moments, but there's a couple of games you have to see in its entirety. And one of them was that game. Yeah, John Lastinger told me, former Georgia quarterback, he told me that the entire state of Georgia was speeding that day because all the patrolmen were in the end zone. Like, if you go yeah, back and look yeah. at that run that he had against South Carolina, like, there's just all these different policemen, like, slapping him on the back and stuff. And it's, it's, yeah. it was a mob scene. Watching Herschel in that game, it was almost like watching, like, a home run derby. Like, like you're... You're, it's the same thing, like repetition over and over. Like it's a toss left, toss right, just a batting practice fastball, and then you're just waiting to see what, like, when's he gonna just like unleash something that's like gonna leave you in awe. It, it's it was the awesome. piece that I did on Herschel was about basically like as somebody who's I'm 28 years old. I never saw Herschel play, and the piece was on like why millennials should appreciate this guy as the goat. And yeah. I talked to I talked to Vince Dooley. I talked to a couple of his former Georgia teammates. Like. It was it was really cool going back down going back down and like reliving some of their experiences here. Just to show you where we're at in life, when Connor says he talked to Vince Dooley, when we were preparing oh, to, to call to FaceTime for for the uh, the pod last week, I'm sitting here, I'm like giggling to myself because we had this this thing about the office and and I'm like this is gonna be so great, and so we record every time at two o'clock, and Connor picks up a FaceTime and he goes, "Huh, we're peeling back the onion yeah, here, guys." Back the onion. Uh, he goes. He goes, that's so weird. Did you just call? And I was like, no, I didn't. He's like, huh. Like, right as you were about to call, Vince Dooley called me. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I'm in a fort in my girlfriend's apartment drinking a Dr. Pepper. And and Connor's over here just rubbing elbows over the phone with Vince Dooley, one of the greatest coaches in SEC I sent him an email and like a week earlier. So I reached out to a lot of people for this story. And some people responded. Some people didn't. But I had reached, I had like sent him an email like a week and a half earlier or something like that. And I didn't think that he would, that he would respond. He's Vince Dooley. He's an 85-year-old guy. He's got enough things to worry about. He's the coach. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, what is, what is he going to talk to me for? So if you didn't respond, you're an a He never, Vince Dooley responded. He never responded to my email. And then right before we're about to go on, he basically just, like, he calls me and I, I don't have caller ID in my phone, but for whatever reason, I didn't have Vince Dooley's number on my phone. It just said Vince Dooley in all caps. And I'm like, wait, is this Marler playing a prank on me or something? And then sure enough, it's Vince Dooley. And I'm like, hey, I'm actually about to record this podcast right now. Can I call you back a little bit later? And so that's my way of saying, I put an 85-year-old man on hold to do this podcast, and I should not have. 
That was me. Way to go. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I was out doing the backpack kid dance with Johnny Manziel when you called today. So it's like, <laughs> totally get it. All right. Well, let's move on. I, I have Herschel locked in as my RB. And by the way, Auburn fans, I do have Bo Jackson as my all-purpose guy. Yeah. That's so disrespectful. Number two. I, just like, saying. So instead of just making room for two two running backs, Cotter put. No, 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 no. This is what <laughs> we were supposed to do. This is the guidelines <laughs> that we were given. We had to do okay, an all-purpose, a running back then or it's receiver. It's on you, C. Wright, if you're listening. Right. It says APB, receiver or running back. Bo Jackson. Yep. I was like, good God, that is disrespectful. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's tales all this time. You can argue anybody. If you're my dad, he'll say that it was Marcus Dupree was a, was better the than The greatest that ever was. He didn't play in the SEC. God, he was incredible to watch. Um, anyway, Bo Jackson, Herschel Walker, they're interchangeable for the most part, in my opinion. Bo Jackson is the greatest athlete in the history of the world. Probably, yeah. I will say that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's definitely not Jim Thorpe. <laughs> I don't know whoever gave him that distinction in 1920. Good God. Anyway, but um, moving on to receiver. You're going to disagree with both of these, aren't you? I am. No, just one of them. So probably, but yeah, you, I, this, I thought you'd be surprised. Uh, so Julio Jones, I have locked in. That's so bad. And I have Amari Cooper. <laughs> so, tell so me, tell me why I'm wrong. Great ever- okay, so I'm a Bama fan, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. This and your tight end. Don't get, don't get offended by this, but I'm going to use this word. Lazy pick. Lazy? Lazy pick. Ozzy Newsom for tight end. You have Hunter Henry. I have Hunter Henry because it was a numbers thing, and I'll be honest. Like, how about Jason Witten? Jason Witten's numbers were not that good. He started off. He, he started off as a defensive end at Tennessee. Of course, yeah. Tennessee put him at the wrong position. Of course, and then of eventually course. switched him. Alabama wanted to play him a kicker, so which probably would have been great. No, but okay, Julio was, in my opinion, wasn't that great as a receiver in college. He really? was good. Yeah, but like, if Bama fans, you just defend me on this. Did it not seem like every single game? That we started out with a pass play to Julio, he dropped the first pass of the game. Almost every single game. Now there were other times, like the two, the two that stand out most for me, the first half of the Auburn game in 2010, uh, where he had 10 receptions for 199 yards because they apparently decided not to guard him, but they ended up losing that game. And the game against Patrick Peterson in 2008, where he had like nine catches for 135 yards and dragged the entire defense up the field at one point. No, he's not one of the best of all time. Josh Reed from LSU, first first person I'll say is better. Okay. First player to ever have over 3,000 career yards. First Bolitnikoff winner in the SEC. I would say any of the receivers from the 90s uh, at Florida. Ike Hilliard, Redell Anthony, Jack Jackson. That was my favorite. Jack Jackson. Cool, it's a really cool name. He should have had like his own like Disney Channel superhero show. Heinz Ward. Are you thinking of Jet Jackson? Yeah, you are. Yeah, I okay. am. Rest in peace, actually. <laughs> the, the famous Jack Jackson. Jack Jackson. I think he actually died a few years ago. Not not Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward is still alive. He does commercials for Kroger Produce all the time in Atlanta. But Heinz Ward, now, if it's a numbers thing, the reason why Heinz Ward is probably not on that list, because in 1995, the entire Georgia offense apparently got injured, and he had to play receiver, running back, and quarterback at the same Maybe he time. Been, not really. That he should have been my all-purpose back. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been pretty human. good. If you would have put Heinz Ward over over Bo Jackson, we would have lost every oh, Auburn listener that we've ever had. Well. But I will say one thing I will defend you on. The reason why Bo Jackson couldn't have been the number one running back is because he doesn't spell his name with a K. Moving on. Jo- um, Josh Reed, I would have him over there. Craig Yeast from Kentucky during the uh, the Tim Couch years. Like that a lot. Um, that's pretty much all I got. Henry Tied got the because he won the Matthew Ozzie Award and his numbers really, really good his final two years. The best thing he ever did, in my opinion, was in the Ole Miss game. Was it Ole Miss or was it Auburn? Where he he dropped a pass. He, he dropped a pass and then like lateraled it back. It was like fourth and twenty six. 
This happened like two or three years ago. All I know is it, it whatever, I think it was against Ole Miss. I think it actually almost positive it was. And it's what catapulted Bama into the SEC championship game. But there's like fourth and 26. They threw like a 10-yard dig route, and he hurled it back while he was getting hit. And then they ran it all the way on the other side of the field. There's a chance that uh, anyway. Hunter Henry's brother is actually going to go to Arkansas. He's a tight end, too. He's like number one tight end in the country, and he's got Arkansas in his top five. Just saying. Jack Jackson. Such a cool name. All right, Jack we'll Jackson. move on to run through my offensive line real quick uh, because nobody actually cares. But I have uh, Luke <laughs> Jekyll, Chip Kell, Barrett Jones, John Hanna, Andre Smith, the best 40 ever. The best 40. Terrible. That was the worst. So, John Hanna, you're, you're right on. The fact that you left Dwight Stevenson off is offensive. John Hanna's the greatest lineman in the history of football, from what I've been told. I've never seen him, but anyway. I will say the only ones I wrote down, mm-hmm. real quick, Sean Andrews from Arkansas, Andrew Whitworth mm-hmm. from Arkansas. Pouncy Maybe. twins? Eh, I guess, I mean, only I said twins because I honestly can't say their their names apart. It's kind of like yeah. Markeith yeah. and Marquise Morris or whatever it is in the NBA. But one, one that I will say I'll give a shout-out to. Oh, gosh. Stinchcomb. Shoot. From Parkview High School, yep. just like me. I like Stinchcomb a lot too. He's a friend of the podcast. Some of the greats, he's been on man. a couple times. He's uh, he's really good. Huh. He sat on me in eighth grade when I had a stomachache outside of his mom. I know we already told the story. I'm just I'm just letting you know. But for our new um, listeners, they they haven't heard it, so maybe yeah, provide a little. Bit all right, of so that's that's the offense, and of course you're all purpose back and afterthought. Bo, Bo Jackson. Jackson. It's not an afterthought. It's my first available slot for a running back or receiver. He said it, guys, not me. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to defense. Uh, the Minister of Defense, Reggie White. I've got Jonathan Allen on there. I've got Tracy Rocker, David Pollock, who was, I know we we, th- we forget about like how great of a college career Let's he had because there. of his injury. Three-time All-American. 36 career sacks, second all-time. Not going to argue that, that one. Two-star recruit, Shiloh High School. Also, same region as the Parkview Panthers. Fun fact. I wouldn't argue that one. I actually like every single pick here. The only ones it was, it was difficult for me to like leave off. John Henderson from Tennessee, 20 and a half career sacks at a, at a D tackle position. Uh, Glenn Dorsey was really good. Glenn Dorsey was really good. I debated him over over Tracy Rocker, but Tracy Rocker like won SEC Player of the Year as a defensive yeah. tackle, which yeah, he is was, crazy. And, and then also, I would have to put him on there just because he ended up becoming one of the best recruiters in the in conference history as well. Yeah, he's, but yeah, that, that's that's a tough one. And then the only other one I would say is. Uh, Alex Brown from Florida. Oh, Alex Brown was a beast. I met him, uh, what did I meet him? I met him when I was like 14 or something like that because he played for the Bears and I did, yeah. like he was signed autographs or something like that. Didn't talk about any of his Florida stuff, but I always liked Alex Brown. I always thought he was. I arm yeah. wrestled him at a Taco Mac outside of Covington, Georgia one time. Not really. That'd be cool though. I'm going to start oh, just one up in your stories. I actually like believe that. That, that sounded pretty good. <laughs> I uh, beat him in a chug off one time at uh, Club La Vila, Panama City Beach, 2001. Uh, Jonathan no, I, Allen. I like this. I thought you nailed this one. Jonathan Allen, I, I think people would kind of be surprised to see that a little bit on the surface, but if you actually like go back and look at some of his numbers and the fact that the guy was a legit Heisman candidate for most yeah. of the season. As he an was a once end. in a generational type guy, and David Pollock, I think was was advocating for him to be a Heisman finalist like throughout the year Dude, too. Which that, was, that says a lot. Was like Pollock that play he made against South Carolina, the thirteen oh to gosh. ten game or thirteen to nine game. What in, in again? This dude was a two star recruit from like a neighboring high school, like in the same hometown, Lilburn, Georgia. And I remember my dad asked me about him, and he was like. Who's this two star fullback recruit named David Pollock? He married a girl I went to high school with, and I was like, I don't know. I don't, one of my friends is going to see him like on his official visit at Georgia this weekend. And then next thing you know, he's like one of the greatest D linemen in the history of the conference. Go figure. Crazy. 
Uh, so it, I gave him the spot at, at edge. Edge is kind of like the all-purpose back, but except we could do a <laughs> linebacker or defensive end. So I went with him there. He's the high motor motor player of the, oh, of the super decade, high motor of the century. <laughs> Very high motor linebacker. I'm gonna get some some backlash on this, but. I went Derek Thomas, Patrick Willis, and Roquan Smith. Prisoner in the moment with Roquan. Oh gosh, he was so good last year. For one year. It was more than one year. he was good as you. It was more than one year. Jamie Winborn, I would say at Vanderbilt. Honestly, this was hard for me because first off, Derek Thomas, not enough is ever gonna be made about how great of a career he had. Great SEC Network doc about Derek Thomas that you guys watched. Fantastic, yeah. So Derek Thomas had, he was really bad at celebrating his sacks, <laughs> but I think it's because he got so tired from making so many. He used to do the the, the famous like jut both hands in the air like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that afterwards. That's like, when you, you know doing? you're watching like an 80s highlight when they throw their yeah. arms up in the air and they just don't know what to do with them. Like, yeah. It's like they're trying to like fake a high five to like a five-year-old like, yep, and then they just move their hands up last minute. But he, he had 55 career sacks. Oh, Second on the list of all time was Pollock with 36. Now, why that's crazy is because in 88, he had 27 sacks. He was un- in, unguardable. In one season. That would have ranked third all time, that one season. He had eight in one game against Penn State, or seven in one game against Penn State. But he was, I mean, he was incredible. He was just absolutely incredible. Now, I would take Roquan off. I, <laughs> there's so many other linebackers you could put in there, in my opinion. Even Thomas Davis at Georgia, I thought, was had a better career. Mm. I mean, it's not as, not as much hardware, I guess. I would say Rolando McClain which I know is going to make me sound like a homer, but I thought he was very, very good. Jamie Winborn from Vanderbilt. Um, I just thought Roquan, the way, like, if you take him out of that defense, I know Georgia had a lot of studs on the defensive side. They had a lot of speed, but I just thought, like, the way that he stood out on a defense loaded with four- and five-star athletes, to me, said so much. And the fact that, like, I mean, dude, like, led the conference in tackles. He was also a guy that was in the Heisman Heisman running, and to a certain extent, not really. I mean, on the outskirts of it. But I can't remember what he finished in the Heisman voting, but he was in, like, the top eight or something like that. Was he Uh, he 10th? Yeah, because I remember a Louisville guy I follow on on Twitter getting all pissed off. He's like, can you imagine that three people actually put Roquan Smith as a as their number one overall pick ahead of ahead of Lamar Jackson? Anyway, I would say um, on top of that, dang it, I just I just had this. Oh, Takeo Spikes, Carlos Dansby. Yeah. Okay. There are so Takeo many good spikes ones. over him, but yeah. There there are a lot of good ones to go through, and it's it's tough. I mean, you're splitting hairs. Al everybody's Wilson. gonna have their own opinions. You're gonna come. You you have a better list than I do, probably. I, I'm. I'm humble enough to. Well, you, that. but see, it's it's so much easier because you already gave the list, and I was like, ha, I could argue every exactly. single one of these. Which yep. that's just it makes it easier for me. Which is the secondary is bad. loaded, absolutely loaded. That one's tough. Champ Bailey, I had, um, of course, great Georgia cornerback, and then uh, Patrick Peterson, a guy who, yeah, didn't fare see, so I, well against Julio Jones that one time. Absolutely, but. I mean. I thought you absolutely nailed this one. And then I had Minka and Eric Berry. Disagree with Minka. But these corners, I, I like, you should have seen how fast my eyes darted when I saw this list to go to the cornerbacks. And I was like, oh, I bet he messed this one up. There's no chance he got this right. You nailed it. Champ Bailey and and Patrick Peterson. I, I, my, my favorite moment in game day history was when Champ Bailey was at Georgia in 1998 and game day was there to play Tennessee. And... They had Goldberg. Have I told this story? When Goldberg, yeah, like, I don't think you have. I've heard what? This one. He, Goldberg comes through. It's like the the like the pre-show thing or like the first like the intro, and he's like like walking in this like very very creepy like little background area. He's going. A lot of people ask me every week, "Who's next?" And he's like, "Well, Tennessee, you're next." And they all freak, and then they lose by like twenty four points. It wasn't even close. But they were but, fired up. That's yeah, all they were real fired up. I think you nailed the quarterback safety. It's hard for me to say Minka Fitzpatrick. Eric Berry, definitely. 
But Mink, I gave Minka the edge because while he only had a three-year career, from start to finish, I mean, absolute stud. Two-time consensus All-American, was a difference maker on that team as a true freshman, which doesn't happen in a place like Alabama that much. The fact that he rose up the depth chart that quickly, and yeah, I mean, people are gonna look at the fact that he only, you know, he only had one interception as a junior. People yeah. weren't throwing at him. I mean, no. the, the interception that he did have against Texas A&M Minka was absolutely Island. ridiculous. Like, Fitzpatrick Island. And by the way, he had already, after his sophomore year, he had already set the record for, Most, for pick sixes. Yeah, right. So <laughs> he like, like four in one season. One was like 109 yards against Arkansas. I yeah. will say, Will Muschamp, I would have had him on here. Kirby Smart. As, as your head coach. That kid. <laughs> That let's, let's put them in there at the defensive back and see see what kind of backlash we get. Let's yeah. just throw that let's, out there. Let's put like two of the greatest athletes of all time, Patrick Peterson and and Champ Bailey, and then have him like just 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 to cover the rest of the field. Two thirds of the earth is covered by water. The rest is covered by Kirby Smart. I will say one quarterback we missed out on, uh, Fred Smoot from Mississippi State. He was incredible. He said that wasn't he the guy who had that that yeah. famous quote? Yeah, yeah. Okay. My favorite thing he did was no, it was Dre Bly from North Carolina. He got number twenty nine. He had like a $7,000 chain made when he got drafted by the Rams in white gold. And then the next week, they retired Eric Dickerson's number. (laughs) What are you going to do with that, man? Here's a present, Mr. Mr. Dickerson. Probably should have seen that coming. Safety's, I don't know, safety's tough. I would have to put maybe, it was only one season, but Tyron Matthew was an incredible player. I debated. He was. He would have been my next choice if I I didn't. But the way that his career ended, I was like, ah. Because of all the drugs. Yeah, yeah, that's probably not the best look to go out uh, at LSU. But a, a tremendous list, and I could be swayed in so many different ways. Like I, I, lazy I was a lot too. of my choices. Not lazy on the punter thing. I went with the Butlers because I thought that'd be adorable. Drew Butler, of course, and Kevin Butler. He Kevin Butler, nobody adorable, debates him. <laughs> yeah, a little father-son combo. Nobody debates Kevin Butler's greatest no. kicker in SEC history, I would argue. Right? Okay. I know they've only had what I believe to be three total kickers during my 32 years of watching SEC football, but anybody from Auburn, I'm, I'm almost confident they've only had three kickers in my entire lifetime. But them, and I'll tell you what, I was, I was saying this to my girlfriend earlier, and I don't know why she, I would have thought she would have known the answer, but I was like, punter, punter, who were all those punters from Tennessee who had the, the same last name and all the DUIs? Any Colquitt. Absolutely any Colquitt from Tennessee would have to make the punter thing. Probably Dustin, who just sounds I'll like a honest. walking DUI. <laughs> I did not spend a ton of time thinking about the greatest punter in SEC history. That's what separates so. me and you, man, is the work yeah. and the research. You're more devoted. You're way more <laughs> devoted. All right, so that's that's greatest SEC team. Maybe maybe I'll tweet this out or something just to see how many, like, my mentions after that would probably not oh, look man. too good. I uh, get a lot of people hate on me. like, the worst. The worst of all time. Oh, that's unfair. That's unfair. <laughs> coach of all time. As fun as that would be. Worst coach in SEC history. Woody Woodenhofer, Vanderbilt, boom. Jerry DiNardo, LSU, moving on. Also a great Indiana coach. Yeah, there you go. Gary DiNardo. Uh, he's not with Big Ten Network. He actually does pretty good work. Shout out Gary DiNardo. We know you're Jerry. Listening. Jerry, why do I say Because <laughs> it's spelled like with a G. Yeah, whatever. Jerry with a G is the worst. It's. Oh. I know. You're just asking just for people. Just spell it with an I and a heart over it, too. Like, that's the only way you could do it. What's wrong with you? Sorry, Gary. Sorry, Gary's with a G and Auburn people with the first name that start with K. We're going to move on. There's uh, So one other uh, another thing that we got going uh, in Goat Week we got a Spurrier story because it doesn't feel right to have Goat Week without Spurrier. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Spurrier is the greatest coach in SEC history. He's we close. already decided he's up there. I think he's in the next class down, but maybe the most entertaining coach in SEC history. He's the GOAT of SEC entertaining coaches, I think. Just uh, the guy who made the SEC fun. Steve Spurrier bringing the high-powered offenses, 
the off the cuff responses that you would get from him and just the overall demeanor was unlike anything else. And I think it was because you had this guy who was a Heisman Trophy winner right. and respected in a different way and he was able to do different things because of the respect that he earned instantly the second he walked in the door. Right. I mean, everywhere he goes, it's still the same way. Um, and it's kind of fun to look back on Spurrier's legacy and those 90s Florida teams and just how good they were. I mean, winning, what did they win, like five SEC championships or something like that? It was too much. And Spurrier only got the one ring, but I feel like he gets a notch above in terms of like all-time great coaches because of the work they did at South Carolina and rebuilding that program. Yeah. And the fact that he like went to the NFL, it didn't work out, and he came back, and we love it when they do that in the SEC. Which <laughs> I know what you're doing, and I don't like the it. The all-time greats <laughs> do it. So, yeah, it, it didn't feel right to, to do Goat Week without bringing up a, a guy who has been just so important in terms of, like, the landscape of what the SEC is today. I don't think that you – if you make a Mount Rushmore of SEC coaches, I think you'd put Spurrier Woody Woodenhofer. Jer- yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm just making sure. I mean, like, I don't want to – I don't like getting caught Saban, in the moment here. Bryant, Spurrier. Les Miles. Either Mike Dubose or Mike Press. Coach O. I had to explain to somebody last week that the that – I'm not making this up – that – that the Mount Rushmore was not the same mountain as the one in the final scene of the movie Richie Rich. Yeah, that's a common misconception. Is one of the which is one of the four. Like, I almost, I almost just moved out of the country immediately. I was, I was so, so disheartened by that. One of the more underrated things of the movie Richie Rich was that he had a McDonald's in his own house, and every kid in sick, America yeah. wanted a McDonald's in their own house after seeing that movie. Yeah, and he was still so bad at shooting jump shots, even I know. though he had a. a a basketball hoop in his actual room. Anyway, moving forward. Yeah, great movie, though. I mean, I guess it's appropriate with Spurrier that we're going through uh, some great stuff from the 90s. But yes, one of the things about him that I think Florida fans would maybe debate. Do they debate this? I don't know if they debate this. If you had to take Spurrier's legacy at Florida compare it to Urban Meyer's legacy at Florida, I understand Meyer's got more rings, but in terms of longevity... He's one more ring. Yeah, I know. But that's for some people that's the only conversation that matters and it's just over after that. Would you would you take Spurrier's legacy at Florida or Urban Meyer's legacy? Florida's. I mean wow. Florida's. That oh, that's good. That's really good. That's a hot take. Tell you what I'd do first and foremost. Um no, I would take I would take uh Spurrier's. I think I I probably would too. I, I probably would too. I understand two national championships pretty impressive, but the way that he was able to, to have a, a one of the dominant programs in college football for a decade, I don't think a lot of people really like. I think they appreciate that, but it's it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle when you think about Florida in the last thirty years, just because of what Urban Meyer did in winning two rings there and what Tebow right. did. Okay, we'll leave that discussion up to our listeners because inevitably somebody's going to disagree with that. Uh, but anyway, so we have a special. It might mean too much. Edition. Wait, we got it. I gotta do. I gotta do your, your rapid fire family feud. Oh, I was gonna skip that crap. I thought you wouldn't remember. Yeah, you're not now. Oh boy. All right. Go it's ahead. gonna be real. It's gonna be real. We listen. We polled. I polled the audience of a hundred listeners. Okay. I'm of terrified. the thousands we have. I'm terrified. A hundred listeners, and I'm gonna. You're gonna have to tell me the goat of each of these topics. We only have eight. We could probably do 10. We'll do eight. We'll do eight for you. I'm nervous. Okay? I'm nervous. Go ahead. So you're, I'm going to ask you a, a topic. You're going to tell me the greatest of all time. I'm going to tell you if you were right or wrong. We have to get to 200 points. If that happens, you can go on vacation next week. Are you ready? I'm ready. Greatest movie of all time. Go. Greatest movie of all time? Go. Ever? Yeah. Sports go. movie? It's a whole thing. We've been talking about the entire time. Uh, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. No. Shoot. I can't oh, go man. with Hoosiers. 
Pass. Oh, God, no. No, I can't Pass. Hoosiers. Godfather 3 was the right answer. Sports movie of all time. You already said it. Hoosiers? Wrong. It was Air Bud. Disney, Disney Princess? Uh, I'm going to go with Cinderella. Bell, you're wrong. Greatest song of all time? Return of the Mac, Mac Morrison. Yeah, that, that actually plays. Beer? Uh, I'm a Stella, man. <sighs> I like that. I like PBR, too. Either Look at you. Covered both yeah. ends of the spectrum. I like that. All right, best uh, Jackson of all time? <sighs> Michael slash Bo. Wrong. Is Andrew and Tito. Best podcast partner of all time. This is easy. It's pretty simple. And it's like Brent Musburger. Okay. Fast food. <laughs> like I always skip that. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. Not close. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good answer. And Olympian. Oh, man. Ooh. Uh, three, two, one. Apollo Anton. Oh, no. No. What? What is wrong with you? Is Jackie Joyner Kersey? Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. You did okay. You got 69 total points. Gosh, so you really you did you your best. for a loop on the, uh, on the greatest, greatest movie, movie of all time. Like, I have. Yeah. I actually don't simple. think about that too often. I think about, like, different. Heavyweights. Oh, yeah. I Ghostbusters, the one they just redid. That was that was probably up there. Yeah. Camp Nowhere. Heavyweights is nope. so good. So, Clear so good. Clear present danger. Heavyweights was really good. Um, anyway, yeah. So, let's let's get into it. It might mean too much because obviously you disappointed our crowd again. I know I did. You have I'm not. Sorry. You've not reached the 200 points that we requested. I have not. So, so we've got a, a goat week edition to this. I've got two quick stories that I want to go through. So one of the things that I found in doing the, the interviews for the Herschel Walker story, and by the way, it's just Herschel. I don't know why I even said Herschel Walker. Nobody ever refers to him as Herschel Walker. So apparently when Herschel was, before he signed with Georgia, he waited. He didn't do National Sign Day or anything like that. He waited all the way until Easter Sunday in April. Yeah, And Vince Dooley's wife, Barbara, had made plans for the family to go fly up to Boston, spend some time with Barbara's brother, blah, 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 whatever. And so it's the day before, and Herschel still hasn't committed. And the day before that they're supposed to leave. And Vince says to his wife, I'm not going. There's no way I'm going up to Boston. I don't have a cell phone. Like, I need to be in the office. I need to make well, no sure that- no one had a cell phone at that right. time. Yeah, there weren't cell phones then. There weren't, wasn't Twitter then or anything like that. I have to be, I have to be at the house or at the office to make sure that you know, we get this call, or whatever. So Barbara's like, "What do you, what do you mean you're not going?" And then he's like, "This is sort of a big deal. Like this is really important." And she says, "The hell with Herschel." Yeah. So just saying, Georgia fans, I think Barbara came around on Herschel. But long story short, Vince does not go up to. Boston, he stays back, he gets the commitment the next day. All's well that ends no well. No thanks to his wife. <laughs> so at the time, apparently uh, Barbara Barbara Dooley, not the biggest Herschel Walker fan because of what she did, what he did to her husband's plans for Easter, but it all worked out and I think they all sang Kumbaya and it all, it was just fine in the end. This week, let's leave reviews of the worst thing your most important loved one has ever said to you. Oh, there are some bad ones. To hell yeah. with Herschel. So there's another story about that I learned during the Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown story from Tuberville. By the way, when I was talking to Tommy Tuberville, he was like driving through the Alabama backwoods or something like that to some random golf tournament. That's the whole state, Connor. That's the whole state. I know, but he's, he's, so he says to me, like when we get on the phone, he's like, yeah, I'm driving in the middle of nowhere in Alabama right now. So there's a good chance that reception's going to go out. And so sure enough, reception goes out two minutes later. And then he like yeah. called me back two hours later. He's like, I think I'm in a better area now. <laughs> like <laughs> it took you two hours. Um, <laughs> I'm standing on top of a TJ Maxx in Wetumpka. <laughs> I think I got you. We're good to go now. So anyway, Tuberville, when he calls back, and, you know, we we talked for, you know, I, I can't even remember, like, you know, 35, 40 minutes, something like that. But he was a great conversation. One of the stories that he told was about Cadillac's recruitment. And Cadillac was Mr. Football in the state of Alabama. He was yeah. a huge, huge mm-hmm. deal. So I this. He goes to he goes on a visit to Tennessee and he tells Phil Fulmer, he's like, hey, I'm committing. I'm yeah. on board. Verbally committed to Tennessee. The next day, Wait, he, that's great, Cornell. <laughs> 
He calls up uh, Tuberville the next day and he's like, yeah, I'm committed to Fulmer. There's really no change in my mind. And Tuberville's like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you didn't even Jesus. visit us yet. Like this, like, there's no way I'm just gonna let you commit to him. Like we'll we'll come out and we'll we'll visit you. So Tuberville takes the entire, he basically Cadillac agrees to like open his doors to Tuberville. And Tuberville right. takes the entire coaching staff to Cadillac's house and they basically like, he had like some sort of thing. I, I'm not sure if it was like a poster or a graphic or something, but it was Bo's body and with the Heisman Trophy and Herschel, like or not Herschel, but uh, Cadillac Williams' head was put on his body. So they basically were like, yeah, you're gonna be the next Bo Jackson. And then they get him to do a weekend visit. Long story short, he ends up committing to Auburn and Tennessee, you know, missed out on both of those great Auburn I, The only thing that I could even imagine being worse than – now, keep in mind, Jamal Lewis was – had just left Tennessee. They had Ooh. things rolling at the time. I mean, Tennessee was in really good shape. Jamal Lewis used to be like a regular of mine. Yeah, because then they got Jabari Greer right after that. And they also – who was the kid who was the number one player in the Southeast whose dad was Riggs, Gerald Riggs Jr.? He was like, he went to Tennessee right after that. But like, so Jamal Lewis used to be a regular at a bar worked at in Atlanta. Nicest guy. It took me like three or four times for him coming in though to be like, probably some drinks too, to be like, hey, I hated you. <laughs> You're the worst person ever. And he's like looking at me like, what? We're, we're boys. Like, I'm like, yeah, I have another Stella. But listen, here's the thing. When you sang We Own Alabama to Sweet Home Alabama, it was awful. The only thing I could imagine being like worse for my childhood than Ronnie Brown and Carnell Williams being in the same backfield is having one of them be at Tennessee and one of them being at Auburn. That would have been awful. So thanks, Cardell. Thank you for changing your mind from the bottom of my cold, dead heart. So Tennessee had a shot to get both of them. Didn't work out, but worked out for Auburn. All right, so those are two fun little stories of might mean too much. Real quick, I want to read these. Uh, We got some great five-star reviews. We really appreciate you guys uh, putting those in there. Uh, we got one the other day from, uh, this is uh, from The American Cheese, spelled with a Z, five stars, and it said, love the SDS podcast. Yeah, it's full of SEC information and covers all teams well. Absolutely. Right on. So this is from uh, Lil Griffey Jr. Really cool name, by the way. Uh, subject line, Mizzou. And Lil Griffey Jr. says, this and coffee is the only thing that gets me through the most. That was my favorite one. Absolutely love the passion shown in each podcast. We're passionate. Yeah. We are absolutely passionate. Sometimes too much for me, but yeah. So this one, believe it or not, different person, subject line, Mizzou Ra. Uh, This is from Ostracize Zulu. (laughs) Ostracize Zulu said, I absolutely love this podcast. It allows me to keep up with my Missouri Tigers and the rest of the SEC, even though I no longer live in the South. I am truly a grateful fan. Keep up the great work. Keep hey, up and you keep reviews. up the great work too, spreading this love all across the country because that's what we really, really want this to be. Is just not just for in the SEC in the, in the Southeast. And you come back anytime you want to, Missouri. Just don't pronounce it Missouri because there's few things. That's the goat of worst of all time is people say Missouri instead of Missouri. Yeah, that's a tough one. But that's awesome. We got I, one like, more. We got one more three five star reviews. So this is fantastic. This is from uh, a rubber ducky four. at a, a at HH. Um, this is this is just Miz. I, I hope this isn't the same person. And if it is, whatever. Thank you for coming up with three different names. So this is uh, love the podcast website and social media of SDS. Great work, you. Great work, all of you who gave us a five star review. We absolutely love you guys. We really appreciate you being patient with our different, like not current event type 
podcasts. We're going to get back to those really soon. But I ain't going to apologize for nothing because I think we killed it the past two weeks. And I'm having the best freaking time of my life, man. Absolutely. We're going to, we, we got plenty of time to talk about current events in the SEC. It was I'm fun to go back car. and look at some of the, the Goat Week stuff. Make sure you're reading all of our Goat Week content, really. I mean, we put so much time and effort into this. So glad that our stories yeah. are going to get this this kind of platform and excited to, uh, for you guys to read them. Appreciate you guys listening to the Office podcast, by the way. And if you didn't yeah, and you just skipped until now, still thank you and we appreciate you guys subscribing. So And tune in to Facebook Live with me every Tuesday yes. night at 7 p.m. because we took a break this week because I had a comedy show which I killed it at. Sick it was fantastic. It was, I haven't done it in four months. It was great to get back up on stage. What I will say is I'll give you a little treat. This upcoming week, I'm going to tell you the greatest of all time. Actually, it's going to be the worst thing I've ever said to an opposing fan of all time. So just strap in for that, guys. Exciting. Looking forward no to it. No cuss words either. So there you go. Anyway. <laughs> remember one, one important thing. What do, what do we have to remember? It might mean too much. That was really good. That was deep. Two weeks in a row I did it. Boom. Really Bye, guys. Have a great guys. week. <laughs>